from it. So if you do it right and you're, you're buying properties that are going up in capital growth or providing that biggest cash flow from the rent, it just makes sense that if you can get a heap of these, you don't, you, you can, you might be able to build it up enough or you can actually quit your job and you don't have to work. There might be enough money coming from these properties that you don't have to work anymore. Welcome back to Dash Dot Insider, where we help you become a better property investor. And on today's show, I'm joined by Matt Fisk, who is a unusual investor. He is 24 years old. He owns 12 properties with 13 doors, because he's got a couple with granny flats on there. And he's managed to do that, by, as I mentioned, by the age of 24. He started investing at 18. So in six years, he's built a property that's got 15 doors in it. He was actually able to retire at the age of 23. Now, he didn't retire because he decided to leverage his property portfolio to then go and build a business and do heaps of other stuff and continue to grow his property portfolio. But that is a pretty awesome feat. If you want to know how he did it, if you want to learn from Matt, if you want to gain the insights that he's got to share, then this is the episode for you. He's a great guy, a dynamic individual with lots of very awesome insights, and it's a great conversation. Uh, We went back and forth. He got to ask me a few questions too. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode, and I'm confident you will too, and I'm confident you're going to extract a lot of value out of it. Now, before we get into it, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you are. And of course, make sure you share this with a friend, family member, or loved one. Now, without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dash.Insider. Joining me on today's episode is Matt Fisk. Matt is a pretty unusual investor, I'm going to say. Uh, I don't know if he's that he's not like particularly a weirdo, but he's definitely got a um, uh, an interesting story around his property portfolio um, that I want to dig into. Matt, how are you? I'm going good, Goose. Thank you for having us on. Right. Absolute pleasure. Now, um, it's actually funny because this is our second go round at this because we recorded a whole podcast episode and then it died in the last minute. So um, thank you for coming back on and, and revisiting this because I think you've got a very unique uh, story and I want to kind of dig into that. And why don't we just start there and then we can tease it out because let's start. Give us a bit of background. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what do you do, why should anyone care, and then I want to talk about get straight into the portfolio stuff. Yeah, awesome. So currently 24 years old, uh, lucky enough to have 15 dollars, $15, as they say, so 12 properties, three granny flats. Uh, recently started up two gyms on the Central Coast. So that's that's what I do for work at the moment. It's um, And properties allow me to do that. Um, so I do that full time and it's it's absolutely awesome. It's, it's pretty much a dream job. So um, been smashing out, trying to buy as many properties as possible over the last few years. I think the first purchase was at about 19, got an offer plan unit at 18. So yeah, it's been an eventful few years. Okay, so you have managed to get a property portfolio of 12 properties, 15 doors, but 12 properties, so to speak, by 24. You bought the first property at how old? 18. So I got an off-the-plan unit at 18. That settled when I was 19. I, yeah, I wish I could have done it early and looking back on things now, but still awesome to get it then. Yeah, that's still pretty good, right? So you would have had to put down some kind of a deposit or something for the off-the-plan thing. So that was the start. You were 18. You're now 24. That's 12 properties in six years. So an average of two a year. Is that right? Yeah. 90% of property investors don't even get past two properties, full stop, let alone two a year for six years and let alone by the age of 24. So that in and of itself puts you in a completely different category, not just of like, you know, look at you, you've got more properties and all that kind of stuff, but I'd say a different category of thinker. I'm very interested to understand what this pathway looked like and what lessons we can pull out for other people. Because in my experience, 
the biggest issue that holds most people back. We talk about the three critical constraints in a property portfolio, cash flow, capital, access, access to debt and all that kind of stuff. But I, I really think that the biggest limiting factor is people's mindset and how they can think about overcoming these challenges. Let's go back to the first property. What on earth made you want to buy an off-the-plan property? Not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to critique the off-the-plan property bit, but I'm curious what, what on earth made you want to buy a property at 18 years old? At 18 years old, I was just going to the bars and stuff. Like, well, talk, talk to me about that. At 18, I was, I was working in a factory, working monster hours, big weeks and stuff. And um, I think always that I had a bit of a bit of an itch just to try and make money and. Um, sort of do side hustles and, and sort of bring in income. And um, I think always knew from a young age that property and business was was where the money was. So I, I just wanted to get one as soon as possible. So I was working full time and um, had the income to do it. So I think just started looking around. I guess everyone just looks at their local area first and, and that's where I was, Central Coast Gosford. So um, saw, a, saw some, some units coming up and, and thought, why not sort of get one of them? So looking back on it now, I... I might have sort of changed that to a, a property with some land, but um, still worked out really good. So, um, yeah, got that while I was on full-time wage. And, and yeah, so that was the first one and it worked out good. What was the motivation for you to go and make money? Now, so you said, all right, kind of I'd figured out that business and real estate was the way to make money. That's cool. It's a good realisation. But, again, like most 18-year-olds, and I'm going to – I'm going to hazard a guess here that the thinking around this started before you were 18, right? I'm assuming the thinking around this must have started earlier than 18 for you to start taking action when you're 18. What was the driver? Why did you think it was important for you to go and make money? Because honestly, I remember when I was younger, I didn't care. I was just like, I just wanted to go and have fun. Like, I wasn't worried about making heaps of money. So what was the driver for you? Why was that a focus for you at that age? I I don't know if it was sort of watching the parents or sort of watching other people sort of uh, working until they were... 60 or 70 years old to me it just didn't make sense i i didn't want to have to work that that long slogging it out every single week big hours every week so um i think from early on was lucky enough that that the old boy brought us along to he, he ran his own lawn mowing masonist business at the time and he would get us out on on jobs and i'd help him mow lawns i'd mow lawns at home would would sort of do car washes and garage sales at home so was lucky enough to have him there i guess both parents supporting all that sort of stuff and getting it going so uh but i guess the, the big thing was just seeing people work until 60 or 70 years old i knew i didn't want to do that and and there would there had to be a way to sort of beat that and get out earlier so um it might have been seeing i don't know some rich people on social media drive around with nice cars or having nice things and um might have thought well i, I really want that so um i guess it, it it came from that so doing the side hustles and extra jobs and and stuff on on weekends and trying to make an extra buck and and then it sort of just kept leading the property that that just made sense as as the next sort of the next thing to go down the next path to go down why did property make sense as the next thing to go down because you know there's all there's loads of different things you can invest in so let's kind of pick it apart right so you've gone and started making money you've gone and started working and making money and you're like okay i'm making money now i want to make my money work for me right that's kind of was generally the thinking I want to magnify it I want to get it working for me so I'm not just working for it you could have invested in crypto you could have invested in shares uh why why property why did property so make sense to well, you why was that the thing it did start off with shares and that allowed me to sort of get a, 
get a start in property that that provided a few deposits was really lucky there but with property like you can have multiple properties as providing a passive income like you there's minimal work you have to do to it if you're if you're if it's a long-term thing and you're planning on holding on to them so for me it's sort of like you got a you got a few things working for you at once instead of like a an active income where you're working at your job with property you can leverage off the bank's money someone else's money and actually make profit from it so if you do it right and you're you're buying properties that are um, going up in capital growth or providing um, I guess cash flow from the rent. Um, it just makes sense that if you can get a heap of these, you don't you you can you might be able to build it up enough where you can actually quit your job and you don't have to work. There might be enough money coming from these properties that you don't have to work anymore. So that was that was always the goal there. Sort of build up a portfolio big enough that you could step back from work and not have not have pressure on um, on yourself to to go to work each day if you if you get sick or something happens in your life you can actually pull back from work and just rely on that property portfolio so it started off with um with shares that led into the first property and then I think from there just got the itch and, and just got addicted so just wanted to keep going so it um I guess that's that's where it came from and you actually reached that point didn't you didn't you pass a threshold where you suddenly realized that your property portfolio had had given you the option that you didn't have to work anymore if you didn't want to talk to me about that so it, it was probably a few years ago so obviously interest rates were a little bit lower then and i think at the time i think it was provided about 1500 or 2000 dollars positive cash flow after loan repayments and expenses a week so it was um it was awesome so um yeah it could have sort of stepped back and at the time i i think i just started up the transport business and was working with a few mates then and um yeah it was lucky enough sort of getting that income i could better the business but also sort of step back from working myself so um could plan when i wanted to work and and that was awesome but um yeah it's since then transitioned into the gyms and and now like some properties allowed me now to to build a dream job and, and do this so now like there's enough income coming from the properties where don't have to sort of work so it's so to hit that a few years ago but it's um Obviously, still want to continue purchasing more properties than that, so I'm um, still grinding it out. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing that properties allow me to do that, so it's it's worked out good. Talk. I want to talk. I want to dig into that a little bit more because a lot of people have a goal to achieve something like what you've achieved, right? And that can happen in various different ways. Depends on what your goals are and all of that kind of stuff. But most people want to get to a point where they've created something like what you have in terms of the ability to have choice to decide, okay, well, how do I want to spend my time? So you reached that moment and then then you decided, okay, now I'm going to use my property portfolio to help me start the gyms. I want to understand that so other people can understand that too because I think I understand it. And I'm also, in, I want to understand what is the intrinsic motivator? You effectively ticked the box. You effectively, you started out the journey and said, okay, well, I don't want to have to work for the rest of my life. So let me go do something about that. Then you got to that point but now you're going and continuing to do stuff. So I want to understand that intrinsic motivator. Why don't we talk about the um, the first question first and the second question second? So I guess um, when I can sort of hit that point, obviously it's a, a great sort of income, like fifteen hundred, two grand, two grand a week. Like that's um, that's an awesome wage for anyone. But um, and certainly took some time off, went to the gym and went to the beach. But sort of got bored. Like I guess that that work ethic over the years that sort of built up to to get there. Uh, it was just itching away and I was, I was just bored. There's only so many, so many times you can go to the gym, go to the beach, go surfing and stuff. So that, it didn't last long. I, I sort of wanted to get back into, into work and making money and, 
and sort of better in that position again. So, so I could continue buying, buying properties. So yeah, it, it didn't last too long. Like just, just got back on the grind and, and wanted to, wanted to keep buying more. So it was, um, it was an awesome, awesome point sort of reaching that. But I guess, yeah, when you get there, there's, there's more things you want to buy, there's more properties, there's more, more cars and that. So it, um, yeah, like you, you got to raise that, that income again. So looking to, yeah, sort of build the business, build the property portfolio and stuff and, and get that going. So, um, and, the- and how did, how, how how did your property portfolio allow you to start the gyms? Because this is a really interesting. Um, not everyone is going to want to be a business owner, right? But there's an interesting relationship between business and real estate, and it can be a very symbiotic relationship. It can go both ways. So uh, starting a business can be very beneficial for you building a property portfolio, but having a property portfolio can be very beneficial if you need capital, etc., to to start or grow a business. Talk to me about that. So at the start with the, the transport business, I guess having that positive cash flow from the properties coming in made it easier to, I guess, start that up and, and there was less less pressure on a startup business to succeed or be profitable from the get-go. So I guess that's where the cash flow really helped there. Um, and then moving forward into the gyms, uh, what actually started that and funded everything was equity cash out from the properties. So there was quite a bit of um, capital growth there and and we we pulled out a fair bit of um, equity cash out. I think it was nearly one and a half million that we're able to access and pull out from the properties and put straight into the gym. So it um, obviously without the properties, we wouldn't have been able to do that. But also having the cash flow still now, it, it just takes so much pressure off the the gym. So to not having to um, yeah be proper profitable from the get go, we can we can funnel more more funds into the gym and, and get it. Get it to exactly where we want to—a a great quality gym—and um, provide a better service to our members because of the properties. So um, obviously, your lower payments go up when you do equity cash out, but you've got access to that that money then and, and can invest it into yeah whatever you like from there. Mm, yeah, and obviously, you're not just taking it out and going and spending it on nice cars, as you mentioned. You're going and spending it on something that's going to build your wealth and create more cash flow. So you're taking it out to to invest it, not spend it, which is obviously a a key part of it because obviously. You know, you don't want to. You, you want to make it make money, particularly if you're going to be uh, accruing interest on it. Okay. Hey, by the way, you mentioned um, when you were younger and you were inspired by seeing rich people on Instagram and and whatnot and social media and everything. Did you end up going and buying a nice car? Have you done that yet? I have. I have. So lucky enough to got a. It's a 2022 uh, BMW M4. So it's uh, I've got one demerit point left. So it's there's no no sort of giving it to it uh, just yet. Got to get some points back before I sort of, um, yeah, sort of go too fast. <laughs> Got to so. get your points back so you can lose them again. Is <laughs> yeah, that what you're that's saying? It, that's it. So, no, nah, lucky enough to have that, and it's um, it's absolutely awesome. Um, it's great having that, and um, I guess also into flying planes as well. So the next, I uh, purchased later down the track. Um, I would love to get my own plane. So you know all the acrobatic stuff. So you go out there, do the backflips and and all that stuff. So I'd love to get a plane one day, but I think that's a bit down the track. That's uh. It's a few hundred grand for them, so we'll wait wait out for that. But um, on the cars one day, hopefully, it's probably not too far down the line at the at the rate that you're going. So now a few more properties um, first. So a few more properties first. That's a good move. So um, uh, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to the property portfolio. What is what was your strategy? Talk me through the strategy to get to twelve properties twelve in in six years. Um, because I'm curious about that, and I'm, what I also want to know is like, what was the what influenced 
your strategy? How did you come up? Like, how did you work it out? Because again, most people just get stuck. So talk me through that. So I guess at the start when I was sort of working it all out, like I guess there's two camps you can sort of be in, positive cash flow. So the rate's higher than loan repayments and stuff, so you're getting extra cash come in or capital growth, so the property going up, up in value and, and sort of making your money that way. But um, I guess for me starting out, like I uh, always sort of knew that I wanted to sort of reduce my hours at work and, and sort of um, make it a little bit easier that way. So having properties that were high cash flow was made more sense to me. And um, the research that I did at the time, I was thinking, well, that's going to help me please the bank and yeah, buy more properties. It's going to increase my income and uh, allow me to sort of buy more properties quicker. So hang on. Did you, did you work that out yourself? Cause most people don't, most people don't work out. Oh, hang on a second. One of the biggest challenges I'm going to face is getting access to debt, i.e. banks wanting to see my And if I buy properties where they, where they produce cash flow, that's going to help me get more loans. Most people don't think that. What, how, what influenced you to understand that? Did you just spontaneously work it out one day or did you read a book or did you go to a seminar? Like, where'd you get that info from? So I think it was a bit of a mix of things. So uh, I think it was a lot of research. Um, so I'd come home after after work and get straight into the podcast or YouTube or just researching. Like I was, I, was sort of, I was addicted to it. It was every single night. So I guess it was a bit of that and also had a, um, had a friend's dad that was a real estate agent. So... He helped me with um, a few purchases, just a bit of advice there, but I, I would be over at his place sort of a few times a week after footy training and um, he was a local footy coach and uh, would be just talking property for hours. So I would just pick his brain for hours and hours. So I absolutely loved it. So I guess it, it, it sort of came from there and, and the way of thinking was if I could get 10 properties at 200 grand each or 300 grand each um, that are returning 8 9% uh, cash flow, um, that portfolio is two or three million, and that's going to be better than getting a two or three million dollar portfolio of five hundred thousand dollar houses that aren't returning as well. So I guess it was that sort of just just getting as many sort of cheap properties as possible that are um, providing high cash flow. Interesting. And so, as I understand it, you pretty much bought in one specific area. Can you talk me talk me through that? Yeah. So it was um yeah the. Back then, a few years ago, there was this awesome sort of uh, tool. I forget. I think it was on realestate.com, and it was a heat map. So you could actually go through all across Australia, um, each state, and look at sort of each towns. And the more expensive or the higher the medium house price was, the darker the town was. And I found this one suburb that was uh, really light coloured, so it was cheap, and it was surrounded by a few darker sort of suburbs. So uh, the town was Kempsey, which um, it's got a little bit of a bad rap, but... Um, wasn't too phased with it like um so yeah started buying in there and, and then we house is going for hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars and the rate was yeah sort of double that it was four hundred dollars a week or three four hundred dollars a week whatever it was so um to me i was i was looking at these returns i was going that's awesome like if i can get 10 of these properties that's um yeah that's awesome so started buying in there and um yeah like the the returns were just so good i think it pleased the bank and we we could just keep buying so yeah, I guess when you compare, yeah, I was looking at that town, you compare it to Tamworth or Armadale, for example, I was thinking I'd much prefer to be coastal and they're, they're the same entry points for the price and, um, yeah, it provided the same sort of cash return. So, for me, it was a no-brainer at the time and over the years, lucky enough to sort of get a few few real good purchases there and 
um, yeah, it sort of helped propel the portfolio um, forward much faster. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in growing your property portfolio? I guess it's action. So a lot of a lot of people don't know that they can purchase. Like go and go and see a broker. Like even if you don't think you're ready to uh, move forward, the broker might have a way that you can can sort of um, get a purchase going. Like, but if you if you don't go and see him, you're not going to know. So I guess it's that and education. Like, there's so many free podcasts up available for you to listen to now. Like. I mean, get up and, and listen to them. The, the more you know, the, the easier it's going to be. So um, lucky enough to be helping a few few young guys at the moment to get in the property market um, just to give them a bit of advice on, on where to go, who to see and stuff like that. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's awesome to see. So it's it's certainly doable for young people as young as 18 to do. So just get in there, get get educated, go see a broker and and try and learn off, off other people like someone that's done it themselves or... Um, yeah, try to dig up a few of these podcasts. Like it's it's awesome to get into it. You can learn so much. Mm. What about older people? You said it's, young people can do it. What about older people? I mean, you've done it in six years. You've done it in six years, right? So if someone's forty five, they could do it in six years too, right? And they'd be they'd be what fifty one. So you know, is there is this something anyone can do? Is kind of my point because one of the one of the when a lot of people hearing this are probably going to be thinking. Yeah, well, Matt can do it, but I, you know, I, I can't do it because, and they're going to have all these stories going around in their head. So, do you think anyone can do it, or how would you, if you met someone who who had that thought? Yeah, well, you can do it, but I mean, I can't. Hundred percent. How would you how, how would you help them? Anyone, anyone could sort of get into it. I think yeah, actions the first thing. Like, um, like my oldies, for example, like um, they haven't been too much into property at all. They've only got into it i guess recently the last last five six years or so and um yeah like they're, they're so of you by the way i'll just point i'll just repoint <laughs> that out just in case you didn't realize that you only got into it in the last six years as well so yeah i, I think we've been egging each other on a little bit like at the start the oldies the oldies weren't too into it they were a little bit i think nervous about sort of this strategy and, and buying all these properties but um they're still they're still purchasing themselves so they're, they're retired sort of they're retired now from working but um they've been lucky enough to, to build up a few properties themselves in the last few years and um to provide income for, for them and um and yeah they're still they're still bur- uh, purchasing properties in their self-managed super fund and they're they're um 55 or so so it's yeah like it's it's certainly not too late for anyone like you could certainly do it like the strategy might change a little bit and i think that's where um that's where like a buyer's agent comes into it and having such a uh i think yeah, everyone's got to have a good team around them like a good broker um, buyer's agent and accountant um, but yeah anyone at any age can still certainly do it but if you do it at 18 years old for example or when you're young you have so you've got time on your side you've got so many years to put it together so it, it it frustrates me that they don't teach this stuff in school like where do these where do these younger people learn this stuff from so like the parents don't know so it's yeah but anyone can do it anyone can jump in and have a yeah, crack nice. what, what's the biggest mistake you've made in your portfolio Oh, I'm just trying to think. I think it was not having the right team around me. That's there's been a few speed bumps at the start, and also as business owners know, it's it's it can be hard to to borrow money when you're a business owner. But from not having the right team around me in the early years, I think if we made a few changes there, could have been could have been another five or ten properties ahead now. Um, because there was a really? few, yeah, there was a few years just in business and. 
how things were structured. Uh, if things were changed there, I think I was I had to wait six months a year at a time sometimes. So um, it, it put me back a few months. What do you mean by structured? Do you mean using trust and stuff and obviously not financial advice? You know, everyone goes speak to a professional. And do, but I'm interested to know your approach and thinking around that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, in the early stages, my broker got us on a, a fixed um, fixed interest rate for loans. So, and I think that went for about three years, I think it was. And so we couldn't refinance at the time. There was there was equity in these properties and we just had to sit there and wait it out. I had to save up for a genuine deposit and stuff. So that sort of pushed us back a little bit there. And also in the, when I was running uh, the transport business, we had to go for a few low doc loans, which is low documentation loan. We couldn't, um, I was on wages. So the interest rate on those loans were a little bit more so that the repayments went up. Um, but I guess, yeah, advice around, yeah, so certain structures like trust and that as well. Um, so yeah, when you, when you put properties into a trust, you can get an account to sign off and say they're profitable and then it doesn't negatively affect your, your serviceability to a bank. So I guess doing a few things differently could have, yeah, could have made things go a little bit quicker. Nice. How has your strategy evolved over time what's your approach these days i know that we've been uh working together and stuff like that so i'm interested to know how you're thinking around like what the next phase of your portfolio is going to look like how, talk to me about your thinking around that yeah so i guess the last few years have been trying to get high cash flow portfolio which has been absolutely awesome and it's allowed us to yeah sort of move forward on the next level so um actually got the portfolio plan from you guys i don't have that in front of me but it was it was awesome to see sort of the next purchases laid out ahead of us and where we have to be, what we have sort of what purchase price we're at and stuff like that. But um, I'll go over our last sort of purchase, like um, so that was about eight months ago, and that was in WA, uh, and this was the first one. So first time using a buyer's agent was through you guys, and I wanted to sort of get a property a bit more geared towards capital growth. So. It's been about eight months or so since we got that. The purchase price was four hundred and seventy grand. Um, I recently got that valued a few weeks ago, five hundred and eighty. So it's been one hundred and ten thousand dollars in capital growth in about eight months or so. Holy smokes, five hundred and eighty! Let me just let me just um, stop you there because I have some numbers that are slightly older than your numbers. The numbers that I've got is purchased four seventy, and in five and a half months it was uh, five hundred and four thousand. Okay, that was the valuation, and that was a few months ago. It's now eight months, and it's five hundred and eighty k. So it's jumped up another seventy five k in what three months, two and a half, two and a half, three months. Holy smokes, that's wild! How do you feel about that? Yeah, good. So that's like I crunched the numbers this morning before this, and um, I think that's been one of the highest sort of capital growth rises in the portfolio. So it's it's awesome because it's got a great cash flow as well. Like it's. It's uh, getting 620 bucks a week rate, I think it is. So I don't know what that is, around, around 7 percent or so. But um, yeah, like it's- mm, About 7.5% or something, yeah. Yeah, which is which is perfect. So it looks after itself. And obviously the capital growth, that's that's awesome. Like So well, I guess these next few purchases, because we've got the cash flow there, we can sort of go these bigger, more capital growth plays. So um, yeah, I guess the next one we're sort of looking at, just waiting on finance at the moment, but- it's going to be similar to that, like, or maybe a little bit more expensive. So a capital growth play again, because yeah, like it's for anyone to earn 110,000 at a, at a job, like that's, that's a whole year's pay. So to be able to do that in eight months, you're doing nothing. It's, it's insane. So I guess the idea from now is to continually keep doing that. And then 
um, that'll put us in a really good position in in five, ten years to potentially sort of um, buy my own place, principal place of residence or something. So yeah, that'll be the next next few plays, I guess. Nice, yeah, and obviously the growth is good, but you got to have growth, growth, but you got to balance growth, right? You can't, you don't want to, you don't want to over tip your portfolio and just go, I don't care about yield. So you still want to make sure you're balancing that out. That's man, that's awesome. I'm, I'm blown away by that. That's a that's a great result. What's interesting about that too is that you know, as we record this, and I'm going to slightly date the podcast now, but as we record this, this is April in 2023. Over the past. 12 months, there's been all this talk around property markets crashing and all of that kind of stuff. And you've had a property that's grown by, I can't work out the percentages uh, off the top of my head. 23%. How much that's grown by, but that is 20, 23%. Uh, I, think I think it was about that, yeah. A lot in eight months. What are your thoughts around, around that? Because that seems to be the antithesis of what people think is happening, yet there you are getting your own valuations for yourself and, and getting 20 odd percent growth how do you how do you feel about that well i'm i'm still looking to purchase in the next few months i've i haven't been able to in the last few months just um just because of business and stuff like that but there's all these all these bad things on the news about interest rates and and all that like i guess it i don't know my opinion is that it's it's sort of scaring everyone off like for me personally i want to buy as many as possible in these next few months like before interest rates sort of start going down because that's when there's potentially going to be a flood to the market and and everyone's sort of going to be jumping in then. So if you can sort of get in now before um, before all that happens, like there, there could be some great buys there. Like so, it's um yeah, I don't know. I I don't listen to the news too much anyway. But I'd be interested to see what, what are your thoughts on on all that. What are you seeing with it? Your clients sort of come in and and all that. Like obviously, you guys are on the forefront of it. Mm. Yeah, it's super. It's super interesting, right? So you touched on a really interesting point about the media, right? So you get whatever you believe. Right. And so if the media is telling everyone property's bad, property's bad, property's bad, guess what? Less people participate in property. Guess what? That can adversely affect property prices. Right. And so um, my experience and my observation and our research su- suggests that some markets are far more influenced by things like interest rates than others. And typically those markets are ones that are at the much higher end of the median price point. So broadly speaking, markets like Sydney, Canberra, and Melbourne. Broadly speaking, um, across the board, though, from everywhere else, interest rates don't—they they don't really have much of a, uh, a relationship between property prices anyway. What the bigger influencing factor is is things like consumer sentiment, opportunity, um, you know, jobs, uh, all of these other. There's like so many other various factors. I mean, there's 64—I think it's 64—different um, influencing factors that we've built into our our, our models and stuff. Uh, and like f- f- nearly forty of those are proprietary in house. You can't get them anywhere else anyway. But what that what that points to is that interest rates are a very small influencing factor. There's loads of other stuff that actually makes up a bigger bigger trend. Now, that being said, uh, you know, thankfully, all of our clients have seen seen positive positive growth over the last you know over this period. Uh, that being said, we are actually we actually have started to track a little bit of a downward trend um, in far more places than uh, previous. However, that's always looking backwards. You know, you can only ever see that when you look backwards, not looking forwards. And what I can see looking forwards is things like consumer sentiment is at its second highest in 12 months. It's bounced back massively, bang, straight off a record low. And, you know, 
the likelihood is that the RBA is going to start raising interest rates and start lowering them again. And that's going to then influence people to go to feel optimistic again. And on top of all of these kind of movements and psychology, because psychographics drive property markets far more than all of the other stuff. <laughs> How people feel is what actually matters. Um, and which goes into there's a heaps of many layers that we can kind of pull on that. Uh, but but that's that's absolutely true. And so um, you've got all these factors as well. And so as people start to feel good and start to, like, okay, I'm going to start getting off the fence again. And because people have got money, like, life's good. Life is pretty good in Australia. And people have got money, they've got the appetite for it. They're just feeling a bit nervous. So people start jumping off the fence as soon as they, as soon as they realize that the water isn't as cold as they, they thought it was, they're just going to start diving back in. On, when you add to that things like the chronic housing shortage that we've got nationwide and builders collapsing left, right, left, right and center, and all of these kind of things, it's like, man, things are about to get. I actually slightly concerned, you know, like about how hairy things are going to get for the Australian property market. But huge opportunities. Well, there's what's there, isn't there two hundred thousand immigrants meant to set to come in this year or next year or something as well, which is which is going to put massive strain on the housing market there. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we did um, we did talk about this in a uh, uh, an episode a couple of episodes ago. I, so I won't I won't I won't quote the numbers, but I did have the numbers for that episode. But yeah, there's like I think you know like certainly um, seven uh, certainly six figures of people are, have already come in in the last twelve months, and then are going to come in in the next twelve months. And you know, just for the avoidance of doubt, I'm pro immigration. I think it's good. I think it's good for the economy. I think it's good for the culture. I think it's I think it's awesome. I think it's great. Um, I think it's great that we have open doors and I think that um, there's no shortage of opportunity and abundance and I think we should welcome the opportunity to to have other people bringing an amazing skills and, and everything to the country I think it's fantastic but yeah we've got all these people pouring in so we've got a, we've got a housing shortage and then we've got then we've got record population growth at the same time you know like I can't and, and again I won't quote the numbers because I didn't have them prepped for this episode but I think we've had the fastest population growth rate um, in you know, well, in in a in a period of time, and so you've got these. It's like, oh, hang on, less houses, more people. <laughs> what? Uh, so the way the way that I see it is that there's a systemic structural trend that is going to be pushing uh, real estate macro real estate over the foreseeable future. You know, as opposed to what we normally think about is sort of like uh, trends and cycles, right? And so we normally think in trends and cycles, like, okay, oh yeah, it's going to go up for a bit and then maybe like slightly down or flat for a bit and then go up for a bit and then sort of slightly down for a bit. Oh, and then maybe we've got regionals versus capitals. They'll go in a bit of a cycle. And, you know, historically they've sort of had opposing cycles um, where regionals will go pretty well and then regionals will go flat and capitals will go pretty well. And you sort of, you can kind of see all these patterns play out historically, but the more that I look at it, the more that I think that we've, we're facing a like a, a large macro uh, trend that isn't going to kind of be cyclical over the next period of time. Now, that doesn't mean that all property prices are going to go up everywhere. You still need to make sure you're in the right place at the right time for the right reasons with the right fundamentals. But I mean, you, all you need to do is look at places like you know Singapore and New York and Hong Kong and look at what happens when you have constrained supply and huge amount of demand. And we do have constrained supply because we've got a certain amount of arable land and that we need to be able to maintain to be able to keep the rest of our economy moving as well. And so I think it's I think we're entering into a really interesting like decade. <laughs> and so what what I, what I think is interesting about that is everyone's probably heard the saying but like the best time the best time to invest in real estate was 10 years ago and the second best time is today, right? Sort of thing. But that's true. But also, it's not a case of 
get in now or you're screwed. I mean, certainly get in now because it's going to be a hell of a lot easier because when everyone starts jumping off the fence, starts getting back into it, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot harder. Like it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot harder. There's going to be more people trying to buy houses and there's less of them. Okay, cool. So it's going to be significantly harder. But not everyone is uh, in the position to do it right now. I mean, you said yourself. You said oh, I'd love to buy more properties right now, but you know, I sort of I sort of can't. I'm trying to get finance sort of, and that's okay too. And the last thing I want is for people to start getting this kind of anxiety, like oh my god, I'm going to miss out. It's like if you can take action right now, you should take action right now right but if 100% if you can just like just do it like just get stuck into it straight away don't waste any time get over yourself get out of your own way and get stuck into it but if for some reason you can't don't be scared don't be afraid because like we're looking at a structural trend here this is a this is like you could almost call this like a mega trend and and so you've got a bit of time to kind of catch that wave as long as you know where to invest and do all that kind of stuff that's my thoughts on it. That's it. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting probably year ahead, like or yeah, a few years, like um, as we get all these these people sort of coming off their fixed interest rates and stuff. Like, um, yeah, I want to get more funny. It's sort of yeah, hopefully going soon, and, and it's I'm sure there's going to be a few sort of good buys coming up over the next few months, next year or so. And um, yeah, if you can, yeah, if the time's right, you can get in. That's perfect. The sooner you can get in, the better. Like, because yeah, it's all that sort of time in the market, like. These interest rates aren't going to be a long-term thing. It's not like it's going to be a 30-year thing. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, they do come down. And um, yeah, it makes it a little bit more sustainable and better for, for the portfolio and stuff. So Yeah, but hang on a second. I'm just going to challenge something you said there because what you said is true and good and fine and all that good if interest rates come down. But what if interest rates don't come down? Let's just say, let's like, because a lot of people are like, ah, oh, but what if they don't? So, okay, cool. Let's play that game. Let's say interest rates stay what they are right now. What's the um, what's the average mortgage rate at the moment? Do you know? It's like sort of six-ish. Anyway, we'll call, I don't know either actually, to be honest, but I, I should probably know. But let's say it's like six-ish percent. What if they say it's, what if they stay at sort of six to seven percent? What if they stay? What if they don't go down? Does that mean, does that mean that you shouldn't buy a property right now? Well, no, it doesn't, right? Because rents and stuff go over time, go up over time as well. And so your opportunity to create time-based arbitrage is dictated by your, uh, the timing to get into the market, right? So if, you know, let's say you buy a property today and it's got negative cash flow, but let's say $5,000. Okay. Is that good? Is that bad? I mean, nothing is good or bad. You've got to dictate what that means for your portfolio, but let's just say that's the fact. Now, and unless that is based on the interest rates at the moment, over the next couple of years, that's going to turn to a positive cash flow property. All things being equal, and assuming you're not refinancing more equity out of it, that'll change things again. But you know, all things being equal, the rents are going to go up, and as the rents go up, cash flow goes up in the portfolio. As the cash flow goes up in the portfolio versus your fixed costs, then your cash flow improves, right? So your net cash flow improves, and so you, the way to get ahead is to play a slightly longer game. So it doesn't mean don't get in. It just means change your thinking around what the timeline for success looks like because not only are you going to get capital growth over time, but you're also going to get rental increases over time and that makes everything. You know, the easiest way to buy a 15% yielding property, buy a 5% yielding property and wait like 10 or 15 years. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, and that's it. And along the way, you're going to enjoy shitloads of other benefits too. And so, if you map it out over a slightly longer period of time, any of your properties that you've got today could become 10% yielding properties. <laughs> just just wait. Just like just wait. And then you can end up with a portfolio of fire breathing cash machines. And all you all you had to do was nothing, which sounds pretty crazy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree hundred percent. That that's a good thing about property. Like 
yeah, even even if it is sort of, um, I guess, cash neutral at the moment or something, like you said, over the years, as rents go up, like you sort of, they're going up 10, 20, 30 bucks a year, even even more like um, heard of some of your podcasts, like some, some people put their rents up 50, 60 bucks um, a week each year. So as time goes on, yeah, the rents are going up, but your loan repayments are pretty much are roughly staying the same or, or sort of coming down. So it's, um, yeah, it certainly goes up. And then also you get the capital growth factor as well. And then the, the, the tax incentives as well with that. So it's, um, yeah, it may not be sort of bringing in, bringing in cash flow, but you're getting the capital growth, you're getting the tax incentives. So there's, um, yeah. You might not be bringing in cash flow now, right? So like I might not be bringing in cash flow now. And the thing about that is it's about delayed gratification, right? And so, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if we could all buy a property and then spontaneously have $100,000 cash flow just pouring out of a single property. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? But probably not going to happen. And so investing is a game of delayed gratification. Investing is taking today's money to create tomorrow's money. And that's all it is. And so the more that you can play that game and be comfortable with it and change your expectation, because unhappiness and dissatisfaction only ever comes by your expectations not being met by reality. But the thing about that is you can change one side of the equation very easily. Just change your expectations. And so if you shift your expectations, then all of a sudden you can shift what success looks like over a period of time. And success could just equal progress. It's like, am I making progress? Good. Great. Keep going. You know, and so, you know, I want to actually ask you a little bit about this, actually. I want to ask you a little bit about mindset Um, because, again, you're someone who – seems like a very optimistic fellow, someone who is solutions-oriented, someone who has seen a pathway to success in other in ways that other people have not. So I'm very interested to know how you have developed your mindset and perspective and if you have any specific rituals or habits that help you stay aligned and in this frame. So, yeah, I guess early on, touching on again, the, um, the work ethic, I guess that sort of kick-started everything. So... Yeah, like getting in doing, uh, I guess side hustles or little little sort of jobs while um while being at school or on weekends and stuff. I guess that sort of got the work ethic sort of going, and then it, then it sort of just went from there. So, um, getting into podcasts for a big one, so I right into right into Huberman Lab and a few other health ones, health sort of podcasts there, and um, I guess that sort of helped. I guess with a few little body hacks and, and stuff like that, like a few mindset things there, a few mindset podcasts and that, and implementing that into into daily sort of routines. So lucky enough at the moment with the gyms, obviously we've got the we've got saunas, we've got ice baths, we've got massage chairs. So every day trying to get in the ice baths, trying to get good sleep, trying to get sun. So if you can get the body and, and mind sort of flicking along good, it's it's going to make your decision making so much better. You've got clearer thinking. It's it's awesome. So I try and do that do that every day, but. I think listen to the podcast and and picking up a few tips there. Listen to how other people talk and and their strategies, their skills, or their their sort of mindsets. It it rubs off on you. So like yeah, I remember back in the back working the full time in the factory and um yeah sometimes twelve sixteen hour days and remember just grinding, thinking like just just want to get a property or just want to sort of save up more money. So I guess. It, it, it sort of yeah it came from that work ethic in the in the early days and it's it sort of just continued in there so but yeah the certainly doing these these daily sort of um daily things like the ice baths and that helps so much it's it's awesome because you're into the ice baths as well aren't you i am into the ice baths as well i haven't been doing it as much as i would have liked we've been traveling quite a bit um but certainly when i'm uh, at home in bali i try and get that in 
sort of roughing it out at about sort of three, four times a, a week, maybe even a few more, um, uh, depending. But yeah, it's great, and it's really, it's awesome, you know, for resetting the vague, the kind of like parasympathetic nervous system. And I, I, I do it for a couple of reasons. So I do it mostly for the mind, and then it's got bodily, and it's got bodily benefits, right? But it's mostly for the mind, because if you can, if you can get your vagus nerve kind of calm, calm down that a little bit, and you know reset your parasympathetic nervous system everything else becomes easier because it all and I'm, I'm so it sounds to me like what you've focused on is get the body right because that takes care of the mind is that a fair way that you think about it yeah i think that as well like always been into into sort of uh train and lift the weights being physically healthy trying to trying to hold a good diet and i guess yeah sort of over the years like sacrificing going out um going out on drinking on the each weekend and that and and getting absolutely smashed and ends up being laid out for a few days. So yeah, try to obviously take care of the yeah the body and that, and it, it's gonna yeah help you a fair bit sort of yeah with with uh, mental clarity and and business and all that. So I think it helps massively. Speaking of that, going out and given the fact you're 24 and all this kind of stuff, has it been a bit of a lonely path? Like it doesn't in order in order for you to do what you have you had to kind of walk this path alone or talk to me about that? What's your friends yes. like? There's not too many sort of people, I guess. Yeah, like at at this age, sort of looking at it, like there's there's obviously a few, and um, yeah, like you, I guess you sort of get drawn to them. But I guess it's sort of more like the the, the older sort of people, like a few years ahead of me, sort of into it. So I guess get drawn to them and, and sort of link off with them. But over the years, like obviously being in the in the sporting scene and that, like still, I guess yeah, sort of play footy with all the boys and that. But none of them are, are really sort of into this. So I guess. Um, the crew at the moment with the the gym business um trying to get a few of them into this and and they're doing great like there's there's a fair few of them that that are going out partying either they're they're listening to these podcasts and um one of them is 18 he's just bought his first property so it's i guess we're sort of starting to get a few people in together we're starting to build a team and um and get it going so uh, i guess that yeah there hasn't been too many sort of doing the same thing over the last few years but um, now recently we're starting to get a few together and it's it's awesome to see like them sort of move forward as well like this 18 year old if we can um yeah if we can sort of get him going and, and get him on the right track he'll he'll be unstoppable so getting his first one at 18 like and having access to all these sort of people it's um yeah he, he's gonna go really really good cast your mind forward like cool financial success you mentioned buy your own home What's it all about for you? What do you? How do you want to? How do you want to be remembered at the end of it all? Ooh, I guess. I guess the gyms are more so my thing. So property, like, absolutely love it. But um, property's been the thing that's enabled um, enabled us to start up the gyms and, and get them going. So I would love to over the next few years sort of really create an empire with the with the gyms. Like we've, we've launched our franchise uh, platform and that. So I'd love to start getting a few there. But um, yeah, I guess it's sort of from creating an empire there, and um, even yeah, sort of creating a large portfolio, and and sort of I guess trying to give back and sort of help out that that circle of friends and family as well to to be able to purchase and purchase properties and and sort of get the life that their boys wanted as well. So if um if I can help them yeah get a few properties and um get some awesome investments and and better their lifestyle and, and do the same thing that I've sort of done like. That's um that's gonna be one of the most rewarding things as well. So it's it's been awesome the last you know, last few months, last few years, just helping 
yeah, helping people with their questions and, and sort of yeah, starting to get them a few properties as well. Mm. It's pretty enriching when you're able to give back, right? How does that make you feel? Oh, it's, it's awesome. Like, cause if, yeah, like, like this 80 year old, like uh, if I can sort of help him not in, encounter the same speed bumps that I have, he'll be able to, yeah, eclipse me easily. So, but yeah, I guess it's sort of just telling him where to go, who to see and stuff like that. So like at the moment he's, yeah, like he, he's not ready for a buyer's agent, but in, in the coming, coming few purchases, that'll, that'll be him. So I guess it's just, just sort of giving him a little bit of um advice on what I'll do in this situation. And it's, um, it's good to see they're, they're starting to get their own purchases together and, and sort of jump in on this journey as well. Awesome. Love it. Before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to ask me? There was actually. So we're chatting off air before and living in Bali. So I was going to mm. see, like, are you guys, like, I really admire the business model that you guys sort of have. Are you guys looking mm. to sort of take this international? Like, is that something that you guys could possibly do? Like, yeah, sort of purchasing in other countries and stuff. Yeah, the short answer is uh, yes. The long answer is only if it makes sense for our clients and only if we can confidently deliver the you know successful outcomes and take care of our clients in the best, best interest first. That's the first and foremost thing. That's the lens that we put everything through. Like, and, and I don't, I'm not just saying that. Like, like literally, we talk about stuff all the time, you know, about how we could grow different strategies the question is always and i mean the question from the team as well you know if we say hey we're thinking about doing this the team at dashtop will say well hang on a second is this in the best interest of our clients to do this and we always analyze it through that lens which is a very powerful place to come from and so when you do that that actually clarifies a lot of things around strategy so for example let's talk about commercial right so for years people have been saying oh you're going to do commercial you're going to do commercial you're going to do commercial I was like, well, we could. I mean, we could have we could have started buying commercial properties years ago. The reason we didn't is we said, well, we want to make sure that we can be the best in the world at what we do in residential first so that we're not cutting any corners, right? Once we've got that sorted, then we can take a look at what's next and we need to be able to apply the same level of clarity of thought and you know critical thinking to that to make sure, again, that that's going to be the right move for people, for our clients. Now, looking abroad, I think is awesome. I think it's a really good opportunity. Um, you know, there's some great opportunities in the US and there's some really great opportunities in Bali to, to, be, um, to be transparent as well. And those different markets, and there'll be, there'll be other markets too. So just using those as examples, different markets bring different opportunities and different characteristics and different dynamics. And so if you can then think about those markets in how they relate to an overall portfolio strategy, that's where it gets really, really interesting. So you've got to be able to, you've got to, you can't just be like, oh yeah, I saw a villa in Greece and it was like 13% yield. I'm just going to go buy that because it's 13% yield. Well, how do you know if that's a good idea or not? You probably don't. Now, just because just because it says a 13% yield on it and maybe you really can get a 13% yield, you've got no idea if that's a good idea for your portfolio, right? And so you've got to think about it critically and strategically first. That being said, if you can do that and if you can validate, qualify, quantify, the thinking and make sure that the that it, that it withstands robust logic and it's not just opportunistic and short-sighted and all of that kind of stuff there's an awesome opportunity so for example you can uh, you know you can get much higher yields in the US um, than you can in Australia in many cases like not not that's not absolutely true but gen generally true it's, it, it is uh, and 
you can also get finance based on the property, not the individual, which means that inherently you can buy more assets uh, faster and you can buy more, more assets with higher yields faster. That means you can generate more cash flow quicker, which means you can then send that cash flow back to Australia that can then be contributing to your serviceable income in Australia, which can allow you to grow your Australian property portfolio. Boom, that's awesome. Same kind of thing like, and again, I say these things like Bali and, and US with a degree of caution because I certainly don't want to encourage people to just race out there and do it. You really need to deeply, deeply, deeply think it through. But just just well, just well, from a discussionary um, kind of perspective, it's interesting because I have been looking at Bali real estate recently and there's some, you know, for example, you can get properties that are yielding between 10 and 20%. Um, the issue, yeah, 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 it's pretty cool. Um, occupancy rates are very high. Now, that's typically on like shorter-term rental type things. So then it's like, oh, okay, well, how do I feel about that? What's the risk profile of that approach? And how is that different? And you've, you've really got to think these things through from a risk lens because um, you can do Airbnb in Australia. You can get very good yields in Australia too. So then you've, got to, then you've got to compare. Like when we first went over to Bali, I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. And I did heaps of analysis on um, uh, real estate in, in Bali versus real estate in Australia. Now, finance, you couldn't get any finance on properties in Bali. So I was like, okay, the numbers look good, but number one, they're based on short-term rentals, so Airbnb type type things, not exclusively Airbnb, but that general kind of approach. Uh, and number two, a lot of cash is required. And could I get the same cash on cash return in Australia by um, buying a, a property that has got a long-term rental associated with it? So like a typical kind of like re- real estate investment that we would normally look at. And the answer was, yeah. And I was like, well, if I can do that in Australia, where there are way less variables and way less unknowns then am I better off just buying in Australia? And the answer at that point in time was yes. Okay, um, There may actually be some ways to get finance in on properties in Bali for Australians. That changes the dynamic because then if you can put less cash into the deal, that changes your return profile. But it also changes the risk profile. So in all of these kind of things, you've got to look at what's the, what's the risk return ratio. And then you've also got to consider, okay, would I be better off? Let's say I was going to take an Airbnb type approach where there is a lot of demand for that in place like Bali, but could you find somewhere in Australia that had a similar level of demand to do a similar type of strategy, which would be an Airbnb type strategy? And what would the return be on that versus what would the risk be on that? Hmm. So you've got all these kind of different things you've got to you've got to uh, throw the lens through. the The big question should always be: What's the best place that I can put my capital to get the best possible return, and why? Uh, and a return has to be considered in its risk-adjusted return. Now, most people can't accurately do that. It's a pretty scientific measure to, to build a, you know, kind of like a risk-return uh, yield matrix. But broadly speaking, you can kind of like, you can kind of heuristically do it. You can be like, okay, well, what do I know about this? And what do I don't know? What do I not know about this? And, you know, what do I think is a safer bet sort of thing? And all things being equal, if I can get a 10% cash on cash return here and a 10% cash on cash return here, and I'm really confident that this is safe and secure and I'm not going to fuck anything up, and this one's got heaps of question marks all around it, well, which one's riskier? The question mark one. Okay. Well, in that case, is that the right move for me? Now, it might be, by the way... (laughs) It might be if you're at a certain point in your portfolio where you can afford to take some kind of bets, basically. Most people aren't at that point, but you could do it. Um, and so if I think out over the next, say, you know, I'm not going to put a timeline on it, but if I think into the future and say, can we expand what we're doing globally? Can we 
change the way people invest from being a localized affair to a globalized affair? The answer is yes. And what's really interesting about that is if you go back 5, 10, 15, 20 years, people weren't investing anywhere other than their backyard. Why? Why? Why weren't they? There was no internet for earlier. Well, the internet was shit. If you, were, if you lived in Melbourne and you wanted to find a property in Dubbo, how would you do it? You, you couldn't do it. Uh, and then if you wanted to know, yeah, you'd have to drive there. Well, what you would have to do, first and foremost, is you'd have to try and pick a location. How would you even pick a location, right? How would you even do that? How would you, like, go back 15 years. How would you do that? Because the facilities, the capabilities didn't exist. So, but let's just say you, you had a hunch that Dubbo was the place to be. Well, the only way you could really do it was like drive to Dubbo and go cruise around real estate agents and go, hey, you know, like, let me know what's going on or go drive to go or go visit some open homes and take a punt. And so that changed with as technology evolved, that changed. Now, people, when we very first started um, Dashdot, the idea of borderless investing was a brand new idea. It was still a brand new idea. That was only four years ago. We were like, hey, guess what? You can invest outside of your own backyard. And people were like, what are you even talking about? That was only four years ago. That was only four years ago. Now it's pretty common. Now it's not the same conversation. But the same thing goes, your backyard just expands. Well, it's like, could the same problems that people had with the idea of like, I live in Melbourne. Oh, I'm going to invest in Queensland. I don't know anything about Queensland. I don't know what the properties there are like. The culture is different because the culture in Queensland, regional Queensland, is very different to the culture in Melbourne, for example. The culture is different. I don't understand the people, don't understand the market, don't know, can't go there, can't visit the property, blah, 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 all these kind of things. They're the same things you've got to answer if you want to go and invest in, I don't know, China, for example, right? And so if you can solve for that and it can still be a good investment decision, then, I mean, the world is like, the world's your oyster, so to speak. So, uh, I like I like the um, the capability. Yeah, and yeah, from a client's point of view, having the potential to go international would be absolutely awesome. Like, um, yeah, like you said, as long as the, the investor stacks up, like it'd be it'd be awesome to yeah, not just look in Australia to really open it up. Like, so that um, yeah, it'd be awesome to potentially yeah, potentially look at that. So, um, I did have another question, if that's all good. So, I've seen a lot of few young people sort of. Yeah, a few younger guys that are on the on the team at the moment to, to sort of get started in the in the property market and that. I know they'll be listening to this. Like, I guess, um, what would you say to, I guess, a, a sort of a younger you or, or sort of younger person, sort of just starting out in the market? Like, is there anything that you you know now that um you would have loved to have implemented back then or, or changed or anything like that? So I didn't get started in any of this until I was after 30. And so I was a bit of a late bloomer. And I remember back when I was like 18, my brother was looking at buying a house and I was like, what the hell are you even doing that for? Brick, what? He's like, you can't go wrong with bricks and mortar. And I was like, dude, just go traveling or something. I just didn't get it. Like I just didn't understand it. I, didn't, I literally didn't understand it. And also my thinking was far too short term. I was like, build wealth over time. What does that matter? I can have fun right now today. But a lot of younger people think that everything they want in life is out of reach, and that's a big issue. Most people, most younger people, and I say younger loosely because I'm talking about people that are younger than 40, <laughs> right? I'm talking about people that are 35, 29. You know, a lot of these people are, broadly speaking, quite disaffected. You know, they're saying, I'll never be able to afford my own home. Uh, I'm never going to be able to, uh, you know, I'm going to be stuck working for the rest of my life, and that sounds shit. Now, if you go back to our parents' generation, the idea of working until they were 
old and getting a pension and stuff. That was awesome. They were like, what? You mean I can have a job for life? That's great. Like my dad used to work for the um, for the SEC and when he started at the SEC, it was the big promise was a job for life. And that was awesome. That was the dream. You mean I've got a job until I'm like 65? Man, I've, I just won the lottery. That was a That was a goal. Now people are like, I don't want to work. Like I want to do, I want to do meaningful stuff. Now, when I say I don't want to work, most people aren't actually just that lazy. They actually just want to do stuff that they care about. And so, but the problem with that is, there's this huge dichotomy in the minds of a lot of young people. Where they want, they have a desire for a life that is more meaningful to them, but they feel like all of the opportunities been taken away from them, you know, by previous generations. Housing prices are up, blah blah blah, all this kind of stuff, and it's just not true. Right, just the fact of the matter is, it's not true. You can achieve anything you want in life. You just got to put your mind to it. I mean, very short period of time ago, I was completely broke, um, living on my office floor, nothing, nothing to show for it at all. And five years later, my life is fundamentally uh, like I wouldn't have even been able to imagine the current life that I've got. So you can turn your life, you can change, you can change whatever situation, and you don't have to be like down in the dumps and like you know, some kind of like hard knock story. You can just like whatever situation you're currently in, you did it in six years. Like in six years, you went from no property portfolio to 13, 15 doors, sorry. And you did that in six years. That is a really short period of time. The rest of your life, you've changed the entire trajectory of the rest of your future in six years. Six years is such a short period of time. And so what I would encourage anyone to do, doesn't matter whether they're 18 or 22 or 24 or 26 or 30 or 35 or 50, is just shift your thinking because you're going to achieve a whole lot more in five years than, than you really, really believe if you just get stuck into it. Now, as it relates to property, the first one's the hardest. The first one's the hardest. And that puts a lot of people back. So most people think, and I asked, I've asked people, ask younger people before, hey, why don't you invest in property? They're like, because properties cost a million dollars and I don't have a million dollars. That's a pretty common answer. That's like, well, properties don't cost a million dollars, right? Some properties do. <laughs> but there's also properties that cost a hundred grand and you know, 200 grand and 300 grand. And you don't need all of the money. You only need a little bit of the money. You only need like maybe 20% of the cash, right? If you get a 90% loan and, you know, plus costs and whatever. And so the ability to get started is actually a lot easier than you think, but it's also still the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Getting the first bit of capital, that's going to be the hardest part. After that, it's just, just, it's like a freight train. It just carries, it just gets away from you. And it becomes easy and it becomes easier over time, which is the thing that people don't realize. The first one is the hardest. Um, The first one is the hardest and it gets easier over time. And so if you can do whatever you can do to get in, in the first instance, that's going to make life easier. And so that could be, you know, that could be doing a joint venture with someone that could be, you know, that could be finding money from elsewhere. That could just be working really hard for a year or two and just getting it going. But once it gets going, that's everything starts to snowball from there. So that would be my advice. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's like, because even what, like I said, the six year time frame, I reckon could have done it far sooner. Like, if I had access to, say, your guys' technology and that, like, I'm only, um, like, my first buyer's agent purchase was the, was the last property, number 15. So, like, I, I wish that had sort of had access to that early, it would have, would have happened so much quicker. So, I guess that shows the importance of having such a good team around you, like a good broker that can obtain finance as well. Like when you're in a tricky situation is is massive. So that and accounting, 
get it all structured right. Like, and obviously it buys age. I think for me personally, that's your big three. Like, oh, I cannot wait for our, our next one as soon as sort of finances go. And like, just going off the numbers from the from the last one, I'm, I'm so keen. So, um, yeah, like really can't wait for it. Love it. Awesome. Matt, always great to speak to you. Really appreciate you coming on again and let's, uh, and doing this podcast again. Love to um, love to catch up again and get you back on in the future. Really appreciate your time. Uh, legend. Thanks for having us. Thanks, man. Speak soon. 